0: Welcome to Practice Purchased. This is Season 4, Episode 1. I am joined today by an actual banker. This, this particular season, Season 4, is all about the banking side of getting a practice loan so you can get into the practice of your dreams. Um, the underlying assumption of this whole season, Season 4, is that you're going to need to borrow some money to afford to buy a practice. Now, if you're out there, you're listening, and you've got uh, the 1.3 million dollars that you want to buy your practice sitting in a checking account somewhere. Good on you. Skip the season. <laughs> you don't need to listen. For everybody else, uh, this will be the this will be the chance that I've got with real bankers on the phone to talk through the questions that clients are consistently asking me, tips that I've picked up over the years. And, uh, and the chance to get the real story from the real person making the real decision with real dentists and, um, and get the real answers. So I'd like to uh, introduce our guest, Morgan Stump. Morgan, say hello. Hi,
1: Brian. Hi, audience.
0: Yeah, it's, it's fantastic to have you here. You have a long track record in banking and uh, you are a dental specific lender. You work with and for Provide. Uh, can you just give us a quick 20 to 30 second background on yourself and we'll get right to the questions?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Brian. Um, yeah, so I've been working specifically with Dennis for over 12 years. And uh, I worked for a big national bank doing the same thing for uh, nine of those years before jumping over to help lead business development and the growth over at Lindever, which is now Provide. We went ahead and rebranded late last year as we continue to build a a complete digital bank for practice owners. And it was time to pivot to that new name as we continue to roll out new products. So um, really excited to be here. You and I have worked together over the years and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Well, thanks. And and uh, the gratitude is reciprocated. Uh, you've helped a ton of clients out and you've done always done a great job. That's why you're on the podcast. I, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. Would it be fair to say, and I'm we, we neither neither of us really know the answer here but would it be fair to say you are the top banker dental banker in the us <laughs> um i mean yeah, i'm
1: very fortunate to to have had a lot of success and and coming over here uh with the technology that we have is and and the resources that we have um i have been able to um be very successful and i think somewhat of a unprecedented level but i i think i give credit to our engineers and and the fact that uh, we're completely paperless and I'm not shuffling through gigantic right. PDFs like my counterparts at the banks have to. So um, thank you for that embarrassing question, Brian.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, wh- I, not only do I want to embarrass you, but I also want people to know that the person that's giving them the advice and the thoughts on these episodes is the best. Like, if that's why you're on. Uh, yeah, and yep. So um, real quick, uh, Provide, uh, formerly Lendeavor. You guys are, I would bet now, either number two or number three in the country. Uh, so just both in terms of the actual banker giving advice and the actual bank you're at, we have a legitimate source of, of answers and wisdom. And so let's get right to it, Morgan. The very first question that I want to ask you is, you know, picture the, the D2, D3 listening, the associate that's been out a year. When should they actually pick up the phone and talk to you for the first time?
1: Uh, that's a good question i i say the sooner the better i mean even if a doctor is a d2 a d3 uh, maybe they're a graduate a recent graduate and they're looking two three four years out right now is the best time to have that conversation because it is a unique uh, this is a unique industry Uh, the parameters that bankers and lenders are looking for um, are very specific and so a good banker should be able to really lay out a plan for you and a pathway uh, that's going to allow you to achieve the best interest rates, the best terms, um, and really get you into that practice that you're wanting to get into once it does come t- come time to, to acquire.
0: So you're saying there's really no downside to creating a relationship with bankers as soon as possible, no, no matter where no you are. In fact, process. that's there's
1: tremendous upside there. And just like anything else, it's a relationship-based business. So the sooner you start that, uh, the sooner you're going to realize who is out there that's going to be able to provide you with value, as opposed to just kind of being a transactional banker.
0: That's perfect. All right, so let's um, let's imagine the associate, the recent grad, even the dental student who picks up the phone decides. All right, I'm going to give Morgan a call. What are you thinking when and, and the, what are the types of questions you're asking a dentist on that very first phone call?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm just looking to get to know them a little bit and, and really understand what their vision is. Um, you know, most dentists these days go into dental school understanding what kind of ownership experience they want. Uh, whether that's just building a robust uh, single location where they can have a great quality of life and earn a solid income or whether it's total domination of the world and build out the biggest DSO you've ever seen uh, and anything in between. So really getting to know the doctor and what their path has been up to that point and then understanding where they want to go, not just in the short term, but also long term future. uh, That's really what that first call is all about. Um, so, you know, that discussion is going to vary whether or not they've got a target practice in mind that they're pursuing at that time, or if we're just being introduced so that I can get them pre-qualified and help them understand, you know, what they need to do to put themselves in the best position. So, uh, I usually ask my doctors to give me 30 minutes at least on that first call. And we kind of go into all of those details and, and, you know, by the end of it, uh, we get off the phone with, uh, we both have clear expectations of what the next step is and, and where we go from there.
0: Is there any downside to someone picking up the phone and calling you early? Are you going to pull credit scores or is there, is there anything somebody needs to know before they pick up the phone as, as a potential downside?
1: So that is a great question to ask the bank or the lender that you're working with. Uh, For example, you know, we're we're a financial technology lender. We're not a bank. Um, so we have uh, a different way to do things. In fact, I believe that we are the only one out there that does a soft credit check. Uh, so this will not leave an inquiry on your credit report. So there's truly no downside to reaching out. And uh, we are able to actually import the credit report into our software, which really gives us a, a, a real clear vision into their cash flow and personal cash flow, which would allow me to, to really help them understand what size of practice and what size of cash flow uh, they should really be looking for when they're when they're out there looking? Would you do
0: a soft pull on a D two that called you?
1: I would not typically. Okay. I mean, we could. There's no downside to it. Um, it just really kind of depends. Uh, there's so many aggressive, uh, you know, young dental students right now that want to own the day they come out of school. And if that's the case, then there's you know there's no downside to, to doing that soft credit pull. But usually with a D two. I'm going to just have a conversation and it's going to be very high level. Uh, Once they get to be a D3, D4, though, I do see value in it, especially if they might have some past credit challenges. Um, And not just challenges that you might think about, such as, you know, late payments or short sales, foreclosures, anything like that. But also um, a lot of students have really light credit where it's kind of counterintuitive. You would think, hey, I've got light credit. I, I don't carry around much debt. Um, that's going to serve me well. Yep. Um, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but uh, there is value to understanding that you probably should build your credit a little bit, um, the, the credit depth, if you will. Um, so that gives me a chance to really look at, at their credit report and give them some coaching advice, um, even on in, even in that instance.
0: In other words, the more info you can see, the better tailored your advice can be. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So all right, speaking of credit challenges, let's let's assume that we've got a normal borrower on the phone. She has no credit issues, no credit, you know, blemishes of any kind, but it's that initial phone call. I know this has to happen. You talk to hundreds of dentists every year. Someone has to be the worst phone call of the year. Someone has to be the best phone call of the year. <laughs> so, <laughs> like what are some common common ways that buyers screw up or mess up or raise red flags for you on that first phone call or second or third phone call? Like what are they doing verbally? What have they done in the past that leads you to kind of put a, a, you know, maybe a red check mark next to the name that makes you a little worried?
1: Yeah, Uh, I don't think that there's really anything that they could, I mean, obviously you want to treat everybody with respect and and you've got somebody on the other end of the phone or the other end of the table that is taking their time to meet with you. Um, you know, so, you know, mutual respect is obviously very important if you're going to be looking to build a long-term relationship, but, you know, just be honest with them. Uh, if you've got anything that you're, that you're, that you're, you know, a little bit concerned about, then share it. The sooner that you get it out there, uh, the sooner that you can really find out if it's going to be something that's going to hurt you. So I would say just be honest. Um, if you've got anything that you're concerned about, get it out now. Um, because you need to understand that the banker that you're talking to at this level, um, they're t- typically going to be outside territory reps. They are salespeople. Uh, it is their job to put you into the best situation possible. And nothing that you tell them is is, is necessarily going to hurt you uh, at this moment. Um, they're only going to be looking to, to, to figure out how to better your position. It's not like they're an underwriter. It's not like they've got some sort of uh, master... Uh, notes or master system where all the banks are linked up together. Um,
0: so you so the, this is worth, this is worth pausing on. So that first phone call with you, a salesperson at a bank, whatever, there is not, it, what you're saying is there's not a legal requirement. And, and <laughs> I'm thinking of, you and I have had some fun ones, right? Um, messy divorces, bankruptcies, I, cocaine usage is one that we've had recently. So like, <laughs> um, like, what you're saying, though, is if a buyer discloses something like that to you on the phone, or even on an initial phone call, you're not going to necessarily report that up the chain. There's no obligation that you have to, I don't know, you know, tell someone. Is that accurate? That is 100 percent accurate. Got it. OK, so no downside. Just be open and honest. This is like I don't know, your priest or your pastor or something. Yeah,
1: because I mean, the bank is going to figure it out. I mean, it, it, we don't yeah. just pull a credit report. I mean, once once the deal is approved and we get into closing, we start pulling a LexisNexis report. These are in-depth background checks where they're going to see a bankruptcy or a foreclosure that's 20 years old. So oftentimes attorneys, for example, are saying, hey, after seven years, that foreclosure, that bankruptcy is not going to show up. So you go in and you fill out an application and it asks you specifically, have you had a foreclosure? Have you had a bankruptcy? If you check that box, no, and then it comes up down the road. Now, now it's not going to look as good for you because you didn't disclose that, uh, even if it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, You know, banks, our job is to do due diligence to protect our investment as well as protect you. So be open and honest. And it's better to flesh out any potential concerns before everybody invests a lot of time, effort and money.
0: Got it. I love it. All right. We are recording this in 2021. What has changed? I've got some books. People have listened to season one of this podcast where I told them, hey, you need to have uh, 10% or $50,000 in cash. Uh, Liquidity is the term that I used on that podcast. Has anything changed? It's 2021. Is there anything new that people need to be aware of? Sure. So uh, just
1: coming off of COVID, uh, most lenders, uh, you know, most of the lenders out there did shut down for six, seven, eight months. Uh, we did not. We, we made a conscious decision to try to be there for the industry and continue lending through uh, COVID, the shutdown and then the, 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 the months following. Um, however, when banks did come back around, um, almost all of them did have increased liquidity thresholds, where You know, previous to COVID, five percent of the amount that you're looking to finance was really kind of the threshold across the board. Everybody pivoted to about ten percent after COVID and after everybody reopened. Um, We are starting to see that get loosened up a little bit. For example, we have gone back down. Um, It's not a cut and dry thing because your overall debt profile does play into this. For example, you know, somebody that comes to us with five hundred thousand in student loan debt, uh, a big house, a couple of Teslas in the garage you know, we're going to have, you know, $50,000 or five, 7% for that doctor is not going to stretch as far as it is for somebody that's going to be very frugal. So we try to have a common sense approach, but right now what we're seeing is most banks are loosening up back to about 7% liquidity right now. Um, So I think that's kind of the threshold that you're, you're trying to get to. And um, that is really the only underwriting parameter that was kind of across the board uh, enhanced cash flow requirements, pretty much the same Uh, loan to gross, meaning how much a bank will lend based on the overall size of the practice that you're acquiring. I don't see, I don't really think that that changed too much across the board. So it's really that increased focus on liquidity, which makes sense because as you know, Brian, you have a ton of clients that you have financed into practices over the last couple of years. All of a sudden, you know, the government's telling them that they have to be forced to shut down. They're no longer creating revenue. And all of a sudden they're burning through their working capital and they're burning through the reserves. So I, you know, banks can often make a knee jerk reaction. I don't feel like this was one of them. I think it was very warranted. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, somewhat for the sanity of the, of the young buyer as well.
0: Yeah. So in other words, there's two reasons to have the cash. One is to show the bank that you're a responsible borrower. And the second is for an emergency. And what you're saying is, Hey, we just saw an emergency. Exactly. Perfect example of why you need that cash in the bank.
1: Correct, and I think that goes back to your question about, you know, how do buyers screw up the early steps of the process? Um, you know, a, a lot of folks have kind of a mentality of wanting to get rid of their debt, which I'm I'm kind of old school like that. That's common sense to me. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I see people do is just, you know, being in a huge hurry to pay off that student loan debt, so they come to me and they're proud that they've paid down their student loan debt by two hundred thousand dollars over the last three years. Meanwhile, they've only got 20 grand in the bank. And I have to have that difficult discussion with them of you did a great job, but now we need to figure out how we were going to, you know, put some more cash away just so that you can qualify. It's a little bit nonsensical and that's just kind of our society. Yeah.
0: Call, call me in six months when you've got another $60,000. Exactly. Yeah, it sucks. And they're going, well, that practice isn't going to be available for sale in six months. And you're, you're going, you're right. That sucks. Sorry, dude.
1: That is exactly why it's best to have that conversation with a banker as soon as possible, just so you can kind of take those little nuggets of wisdom away.
0: I want to ask you, Morgan. um, The last two questions are common mistakes and the basic process. So let's talk a little bit more about common mistakes. So let's let's set aside. We talked a little bit about how buyers can screw up in that first conversation with you. What what are you seeing in terms of overall broad? Common themes where buyers are screwing things up, just in the general purchase process. I'd love to get your thoughts initially up front, and then we've got four more episodes to walk through specifics and bank loans. And I'll lay out the agenda for everybody. But what sure. are some common mistakes you're seeing people make? You t- you, you mentioned um, paying down student loans and not having some cash. What else? Sure.
1: So. Uh... I, you you really need to get the focus off of interest rate. Um, it's yeah. important to understand that all the lenders out there, whether it's us, whether it's the big national banks, the regional banks, all of us that are in the dental space have very similar interest rates. I mean, we might be talking about 0.2, 0.3% uh, across the board, which is going to equal, you know, oftentimes 40, 50 bucks a month. That should not be the make or break decision of how you choose a lender. So that is just the the easiest common denominator that most most dentists understand. Um, right. So what you really should be focusing on is, you know, who is going to be that lender that's going to be there to support you and where you want to be in, in five to 10 years. Rates are historically low right now. So, you know, You, you signing with a bank, uh, they're going to have, everybody has a pretty much a five-year prepayment penalty. Mm -hmm. So you're basically marrying that bank for five to 10 years because you're probably not going to want to refinance that debt because rates should be going up down the road or we have bigger issues on our hands. So really focusing on who that, that lender that's going to support your vision of maybe it's two locations, maybe it's three locations. Maybe it's, you want to buy your commercial real estate within the next year that the practice is out of, Um, really understanding what bank is going to support that is it should be driving your questions during the the shopping period
0: if you will all right um, so let me re- yeah. we've got a whole episode where we're going to talk in detail about how to decide between two loans two lenders um but one of the first pieces of advice i'm hearing you say is don't get laser focused only on rate rate's important but don't think it's the only thing that's important
1: Correct. And gotcha. then on top of that, just be mindful of your overall profile. Um, you know, if you if you want to find a practice that is, you know, maybe a what I would call a, a running startup or a fixer up or maybe you've got a senior doctor that's gone from five to four to three days a week, um, you know, and you think you're going to get a great value and get in there and they're referring everything out that you'll be able to capture. You're only going to be able to qualify for a practice like that if you keep your personal debts very lean. Um, so really keep your eye on the prize. If your goal is to become a practice owner, I know that you might be out, out of, school now, and now you're making a decent living as an associate, but don't load yourself up on personal debt because every dollar a month that you have to send out the door, that just means you've got to earn more money in the practice that you find. So if you do go out and you buy the big house, you, you know, buy the, the, the vehicles and you've got a really expensive cost of cost of living then you're going to have to go out and find a really robust practice. And this is something that we run into all the time. So have your end goal in mind as far as the, the, the size of practice that you want to buy, and then make sure that your lifestyle fits accordingly.
0: I love it. This is great. All right, we're going to talk in more detail. Before we finish the episode, I want to get very clear on the basic steps a buyer can expect to see in a practice purchase where they're, they're coming to you, they're coming to another lender. I think of five. You tell me if I've got them. Then I'm going to rapid fire question, have you explain the five, all right? Sounds Step great. one would be pre-qualification, approval, two, commitment, three, number four would be closing, and five would be funding. Yes. Hey, did I get those right? And if yes, quit in five seconds or less, describe pre-qualification. <laughs>
1: you nailed it. Uh, pre-qualification is just understanding what you're going to qualify for when the time comes.
0: In other words, how much? Correct. Got it. Okay. What's an approval? So once the target practice has
1: been identified, uh, a full package will be gathered. So we'll collect the tax returns of the seller. We'll collect your personal tax returns, understand your production, and uh, basically collect a full package so that we can submit a formal submission to the credit team. Yep. Um, and that a package is when the, is the a- goes through it and,
0: and whatnot. Yep. All right. Big stack of documents, although it's literally not a stack. It's it's a bunch of PDFs and, and emails and stuff. Okay. All right, commitment number three. What what's a commitment?
1: This is the big one, so I'm going to spend at least ten seconds on it. <laughs> um, this is this is your chance to really under you know choose the lender that you're going to go with. Um, all of us understand as bankers that you know you're probably talking to two or three lenders out there, um, and that is okay. We are fine with that. You're trying to make the best decision you can. But once a lender presents you with their approved terms, they're laying out all their terms and conditions. Once you sign an approval letter, that is you committing to do business with that lender. Uh, So that is the point in which it's an inflection point. It's okay. Time to put the shopping behind me. Who am I going to work with and finish this out?
0: Okay. I like it. Closing and funding, those are four and five. What's the difference between closing and funding? So closing in
1: my mind is once, you have chosen, uh, once you've chosen your lender, um, they are going to engage a closing officer. And somebody like me, I am going to manage the process all the way through the finish line. But we bring on a dedicated closing officer who's going to work with your insurance agents, who's going to work with the seller's broker, basically to help you clear those closing conditions so that we can get to funding. Uh, and then funding is just basically pulling the trigger on the funds. Um, you know, once all the closing conditions are taken care of, uh, then, uh, the money is sent out and the seller receives their wire with the proceeds. And then the buyer receives their wire with their working capital. And you are now a practice owner.
0: Morgan, the next four episodes I've got with you, we're going to discuss the following in episode. Uh, the next one, we're going to talk about how to pick the right bank. You've worked at a couple. I know you're going to have some good thoughts then um nobody's gonna get no one else has this that i know of episode three with you is the math of how banks decide to lend you money in other words exactly how the math works we've got some instructions and some details i might even have a pdf download (laughs) i'm excited here and then um then uh, the fourth episode with you morgan will be how to decide between two loans and then we'll wrap up Between give, and I want you to give us some negotiation tips. If you were a dentist, how would you negotiate to get your very best loan? Excellent. Excited to have you on. This was super helpful, Morgan. Look forward to talking to you in episode two. Thank you, Brian.